Africa. Welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I am James Barty in Washington. Today is Monday, November 14. And here are some of the stories we are covering. Malawi's immediate former president says there is a groundswell support for his return to power. Most people feel like uh, this government was removed by what people call a judicial good And therefore, people feel like uh, we need to come back and complete the projects we were doing. There's a population and housing census debacle in Liberia. Today, Monday, is World Diabetes Day with some sovereign statistics. Chadian opposition leaders say they are either in hiding or have fled the country. It's a very, very difficult situation for anyone who is in the opposition party, simply because the secret services are tracking anyone who's affiliated with the transformator or with uh, any other political party or civil society that is in the opposition party. And Uganda's health ministry says Ebola cases are stabilizing despite reports to the contrary. Those stories plus Samson O'Malley's sports are coming up on Daybreak Africa. Malawi President Arthur Peter Mutarika says most Malawians are urging him to run again for president in 2025 to finish the good work he was doing for the country before what he calls a judicial coup d'etat removed him from power. Mutarika says he is consulting with his family and political associates whether he should run again in 2025. He and his Democratic Progressive Party won the 2019 elections, but the Constitutional Court nullified the results after it declared illegal the appointment of four members of the Electoral Commission. Current President Lastro Chakwera defeated Mutarika in the rerun. Over the weekend, Mutarika called on President Chakwera to step down for his failure to solve Malawi's economic problems. Mutarika tells me he simply wants President Chakwera to keep his campaign promise to Malawians. I did call on President Chakwera to resign. Several organizations, including civil society organizations and other groups, have called him to resign simply because he has failed to manage the economy. He was campaigning against me. He promised that if he failed to change the economy within 20, he would resign. He has completely failed. So people are saying, okay, keep your word now and resign so that we have uh, a chaotic government and new elections so that we bring people here who can manage the economy. But, uh, Mr. President, that was before the war in Ukraine, which has made everything expensive globally. So what would you do differently if you were the president of Malawi today? Of course, there is one in Ukraine, and also there is the COVID. As I said in that article, I think that uh, there are always problems, external and domestic, in any society at any given time in history. And it's the responsibility of the government to try to solve those problems. We can just sit down and say, because of Ukraine, I'm going to collapse. There's Ukraine everywhere else. They're doing extremely well, Tanzania, Zambia. Mozambique are doing very well, and also they had COVID there, and also Ukraine there also. What I'm saying is they need to change a number of things. So to reduce spending, there's excessive spending here. They need to reduce the, the debt. So there are a number of things that can be done to make sure that this country starts working again. At the moment, they're just sitting and watching the situation. That's not good enough. And Mr. President, you just said that you left $1 billion U.S. billion in the government coffers when you left office. But 
I do remember we ran a story on our website, VOA, in July 2021, in which uh, we quote President Chakwera as saying that over $1 billion was stolen through corruption during your administration. I'm not sure which one is correct. Mine is correct. It is very wrong. Very wrong about corruption now. I'm sure you're reading about it. You have seen what's happening in this country now. Incredible corruption by everybody in the government. Uh, so people feel my party should get back into power. Mr. President, do, do you want to be president of Malawi again? I'm asking this question because if that is so... Some people will say, why not wait until the next election, perhaps in three years' time? I personally haven't yet decided whether I'm going to contest 2025. I'm talking to people, my family, friends, political associates, and others to make sure that I make the right decision. There's a grand flow of support. Most people feel that uh, this government was removed uh, as a member by what people call a judicial coup d'etat. And therefore, people feel that um, we need to come back, that DDP needs to come back and complete the projects we were doing. And they urged me to stand again in 2025. So what I said was, um, I'm consulting with my family, political friends, and others across the society to make sure that I make the right decisions. Mr. President, it's been a pleasure speaking with you, and we do appreciate very much. Thank you, sir. My pleasure, and God bless you. That was former Malawi President Arthur Peter Mutarika speaking with us from the capital, Lusaka. An official of Chad's Opposition Transformers Party says most officers of his party and other opposition parties and civil society groups have either fled Chad or are in hiding somewhere in the country. Undolembai Jasida, the Transformers Vice President for Political Affairs in the Diaspora, says going into hiding is not a sign of weakness or defeat, but rather a survival strategy to be able to fight again another day. This after the Chadian military government led by Mohammed Idris Debe announced on Friday that it arrested 621 people following the deadly protest on October 20. The government also said 50 people died. The protest was organized to mark what should have been the last day of the first 18-month transition promised by the military. The government has said that the protesters were planning an insurrection. Jessida tells me that the opposition and civil society groups want the international community to take a stronger stand against repression in Chad. Most of us, in fact, our cabinet, the transformator cabinet, we're all in hiding for our life because uh, the repression and the kidnapping and the extrajudiciary killing and has uh, been going on for quite a while, since the 20s until today. We have over 200 people killed, over 1,000 taken to jail outside of Janeiro, and uh, many, many people are unaccounted for. So it's a very, very difficult situation for anyone who is in the opposition party simply because the secret services are tracking anyone who's affiliated with the transformator or with uh, any other political parties or civil society that is in the opposition party. But if all of you in the political opposition have fled the country or are in hiding, then aren't you ceding the whole political process, including the dialogue, to the military junta? Because you will have no input. You know, you know look back in history, in the Western world, as well as in Africa, many leaders have 
gone in hiding in order to come back strong. So going in hiding is not a weakness, it's a strategy. We are not afraid of anything, but we need to preserve the life we have in order to continue with the strategy of saving Chad. Regardless of what they will be doing, we are still standing by and waiting for the African Union to see what they will be doing. And then we are waiting for the European Union and the Americans and all the different partners of Chad to take a stand because we need to know what side this part of the country is standing for. And that will help us decide on which way we need to move forward our goals, our movement for the moment. You mentioned October 20th. That was the day of the protest. Amnesty International and even the chair of the African Union have called for an investigation into what took place on that day. What's your comment on that? I mean, they have the right to call for an international investigation to know exactly what happened. As you can also see, uh, Le Transformateur have also pressed charges at the International Penal Court against uh, all those leaders who are oppressing the people. So, But before even going to the international investigation, there has to be a halt to what is going on. If there is no halt and they are continuing to track the people and continue to kill people, then what would be good for to do an investigation while the killing is still going on? The ruling team right now has to show good faith by stopping all the killings and provide some guarantee to those who don't feel safe for their life. It seems that maybe the military junta is making headway towards uh, civilian rule. If they are making head towards civilian rule, then why would they continue to kill people innocently because they protest what the junta has promised and not be able to accomplish? And you know, what happened is that after the 20s, they have a curfew from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m., and they went house per house, and any male that they find in the house, they take him. And we don't know how many they have taken and where they have taken them. Many families as of today are seeking their beloved one that they don't know their whereabouts. And this is not acceptable in this 21st century. Thank you so much again. It's always a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you. Mundolenbae Jesseda is Vice President for Political Affairs and the Diaspora of Charles Opposition Transformers Party. You are speaking with us from Atlanta, Georgia. In Liberia, the start last Friday of a week-long population housing census was a debacle, according to local reports. Despite government assurances that the census was on track to start last Friday, citizens woke up on Friday morning with no enumerators in sight. On the line from Monrovia is Rodney Sia, editor-in-chief and publisher of Liberia's front-page Africa newspaper. Good morning to you, Rodney. Welcome again to Daybreak Africa. Good morning, James. Good to be here again. Thank you very much, Rodney. How was the census on Friday? Well, um, the president, uh, George, we uh, last Friday issued a proclamation declaring a national holiday to allow census enumerators to go around and count uh, different Liberian uh, homes. Uh, but unfortunately, the enumerators never showed up to people's houses, so people were pretty much left in the dark, and no one actually committed, I mean, did any census that day. So has the government said anything in terms of why the census never got off the ground? Well, um, there are lots of reasons for this, Jim. There, were, there was a lot of poor planning. Um, enumerators complained that they were not paid to conduct the census. I think each of them was promised about $25 each per day. Up to the time the census should have started on Friday, uh, no one received money. There were no equipment for them to work to enable them to count uh, the houses and the, the people in the occupants of the houses. So there was a lot of disorganization going on, and a lot of people expressed disappointment in the way the process uh, was handled by the government. 
Did the government appropriate funding for the census, or could it be that there was no funding at all? Well, the Minister of Finance said the funding was available. Legis, the organization responsible for conducting the census, kept saying that the money was available. But up to the time the census started, there was no money available. On Saturday evening, actually, the international community, including the U.S. Embassy, the U.N. and other international organizations, issued a statement calling on all stakeholders to support the census. Um, I think the statement was, was meant to um, kind of ease the tension of the country because people were happy the fact that the census was announced, they stayed home, and nobody came to the house to count them. So there was a lot of uh, innuendos on social media. People were making fun of the whole government about the way things were being handled. So it doesn't go well with people in the country. Is there any indication, Rodney, in terms of whether this census or when it will be held again? Well, the period uh, was from the 11th of Friday to the 22nd. So hopefully in the coming days, they to allow census enumerators to go around the houses and count uh, different uh, Liberian homes. Rodney, so what's next? I mean, is anyone going to be held responsible for this debacle? Well, that's the frustration among Liberians, James. A lot of people are concerned that the government is not really taking action against those responsible for this issue. Um, Senator Nyambi Sangha Lawrence of Grand Bassa County issued a statement on the weekend calling for dismissal of those involved in the situation to be dismissed. So um, I think uh, a lot of people are keen to see how the government will respond. In the past, the president has not been very, you know, aggressive in terms of um, reprimanding officials who misbehave. Um, we don't know how much of an impact this will have on the government and what the president will do in the short term to ensure that um, this person gets back on track. Although the international community appear to be calling on stakeholders to encourage people to go and, and conduct the census and carry the census, but people are just frustrated at the manner in which they were asked to stay home and then no enumerators show up to count them. Rodney, thank you so much again. It's always a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you very much. Thank you, James. Rodney Sia is the editor-in-chief and publisher of Liberia's front-page Africa newspaper. He was speaking with us from the Liberian capital, Monrovia. You are listening to Daybreak Africa on the Voice of America. I am James Barty in Washington. Today is Monday, November 14. Still to come on our program, Samson Omali Sports. About 422 million people worldwide are suffering from diabetes, with the majority of them living in low- and middle-income countries. Over one and a half million people died each year from complications from the disease. According to the World Health Organization, 24 million people in Africa are living with the disease, with the number predicted to rise to 55 million people by 2045. Maureen Ojiambo reports. As the world marks World Diabetes Day today, Monday, the World Health Organization is looking at the milestones achieved so far a year after the launch of the Global Diabetes Compact. The Compact is an initiative that aims at strengthening efforts around the world to both reduce the risk of diabetes and ensure that all people diagnosed with the diabetes have access to equitable, comprehensive, affordable and quality treatment and care. 
With this year's theme being access to diabetes care, the WHO is calling on an increase in education for both the public and health professionals. Silvana Luciani is the chief of the Non-Communicable Diseases, Violence and Injury Prevention Unit at the Pan-American Health Organization in Washington, D.C. We're all too aware that diabetes is a growing public health problem and that worldwide the number of diabetes people with diabetes is, is projected to quadruple and expected to reach to half a billion people by 2030, calling attention to the urgent need to really scale up interventions such as education, prevention and control and primary care services. With diabetes type 2 cases rising rapidly in sub-Saharan Africa, the WHO says the response efforts are constrained by the fact that more than one in every two people on the continent living with diabetes have never been diagnosed. In countries like Kenya, diabetes prevalence is at 3.3% and predicted to raise to 4.5% by 2025. Luciani says health professionals should ensure the public is more educated on both type 1 and type 2 diabetes. And with the COVID-19 pandemic, we know that the situation for people living with diabetes has worsened because the risks for COVID are much higher in those living with diabetes, but also because the health services were significantly disrupted, which meant that many people with diabetes lost access to continuous care that they need to optimally manage their condition. So now more than ever, we need to raise awareness and education on diabetes. Diabetes is the only major non-communicable disease in which the risk of dying early is increasing rather than decreasing. In Africa, the modifiable risk factors that lead to diabetes in Africa include being overweight and obese, sedentary lifestyles, unhealthy diet, smoking and alcohol abuse. The WHO is calling for increased access to diagnostic tools and medicines, particularly insulin. And for insulin and other diabetes medicines and technologies, we're calling on governments to make them much more affordable and accessible to all those who require it. So we urge governments, please use the PAHO Strategic Fund to make insulin and other diabetes technologies much more accessible and available. As a way of ensuring that diabetes is controlled globally, WHO member states during the 75th World Health Assembly in May supported the creation of the first global targets for the control of the illness by 2030 as part of the efforts to strengthen and monitor diabetes responses within national non-communicable diseases program. And in Africa, the WHO says it's working to integrate diabetes detection and treatment into primary care, including the training of healthcare workers. They are also calling for investment in products needed to control the illness, such as insulin, glucometers, and test strips. Reporting for VOS Daybreak Africa, I am Moreno Jambo in Sacramento, California. As Uganda struggles to control the spread of the deadly Ebola virus, health ministry officials said Friday the cases are gradually stabilizing. This comes after media reports that some leaked documents show the disease could claim 500 lives by next April. The country has recorded 137 Ebola cases and 57 deaths since the outbreak began in September. Halima Hathumani reports from Kampala. Ugandan health ministry officials have gone on the defense in the face of reports the deadly Ebola Sudan virus disease is spiraling out of control. Dr. Jen Rutha Cheng, Uganda's health minister, told reporters Friday that the country's cases are gradually stabilizing, as shown by trends in the last week. 
An article in the British Daily Telegraph newspaper early this week reported that leaked donor documents said the ministry had projected 250 deaths by the end of this year and 500 Ebola deaths to be reported by next April. Acheng said the outbreak is being monitored closely and cases are being followed up on. She said cases in Kampala and other areas are under quarantine, apart from Kassanda district, which has made it easy for authorities to control the epidemic. The government has placed the two districts, Kassanda and Wende, that are most affected by the Ebola outbreak under quarantine for another 21 days. Although Mwende is not reporting new cases, with the government ordering an early closure of primary schools countrywide. We have never done any modeling for this Ebola outbreak. Not Ministry of Health, not the scientific advisory committee, not the national planning authority. So that modeling was done by them. In addition, the two districts of Movende and Kassanda are under quarantine. It does not mean that we are 100% sure that no case will pop up anywhere. WHO country representative Jonas Tegen at the press conference described as dramatic the projected Ebola death case numbers in the reports. Tegen said in the last week there have been five confirmed cases and a sharp decrease in the last three weeks. Tegen said he was surprised to see some wrong details claimed to have been taken from the WHO. Halima Othmani for VA News, Kampala. Uganda. It's time now for Daybreak Africa's Pulse. Here is Samson O'Malley in Abuja, Nigeria. A very good Monday morning to you, Samson. Good Monday morning to you too, James. We begin the sports in Morocco, where host club AS Far of Morocco put up a dominant performance against disjointed nine-woman Mamelodi Sundowns of South Africa to lift the 2022 CAF Women's Champions League trophy with a 4-0 win at the Stade Prince Mole Abdullah in Rabat, Morocco on Sunday night. Mamelodi Sundowns who beat Ghana's Hasakis ladies 2-0 in the final to lift the inaugural title in Cairo in 2021 lacked their professionalism of their earlier matches that saw them score 11 goals and concede one in three wins in the group stage and edge Tanzania's Simba Queens 1-0 in the semi-finals. In other football news, Ghana sports minister Mustafa Usif says the government has no plans to airlift fans to Qatar 2022 with taxpayers' money. According to the sports minister, the decision has been necessitated by the current economic hardship that Ghana is facing. In view of the current economic situation that we find ourselves, the government have decided that we will not be financing uh, supporters to the World Cup. And I want to repeat that. In view of the current economic situation we have found ourselves, the government will not be using consolidated funds to fund anybody to as a supporter to Qatar. And now to Namibia, where the Commonwealth Games Association alongside the Namibia Keno and Rowing Federation will host the first ever Commonwealth Rowing Beach Sprints competition in Namibia. The three-day event will take place at Wolvis Bay's Independence Beach from the 2nd of December and is expected to attract over 200 athletes from the United Kingdom, Canada and Australia. Anton Jacobi is the vice president of the Namibia Kenu and Rowing Federation. Coastal rowing is at this stage one of the fastest growing sports in the world. This sport you can't run 
where the waves is higher than 50 centimeters. And that is what makes the independent piece so nice. And now to mix martial art news. Alex Pereira knocked out Nigerian-born Israel Adesanya to become middleweight champion at the UFC 281 in New York at the weekend. The 35-year-old sensationally stopped Adesanya in the fifth round with a flurry of punches which led to the referee calling a halt to the contest. Adesanya, who was attempting to record six consecutive title defenses, was not happy with the stoppage. He hurt my uh, perineal nerve, so that's why my foot work wasn't as sharp as I wanted it to be so I was trying to find ways to get off the fence but my feet kept on dragging my left foot kept on dragging and that's why I tripped that that one time as well it's really annoying but um yeah it is what it is and that's it on daybreak Africa sports I am Samson Omale in Abuja Nigeria it's back to you James in Washington. Thank you, Samson. Have a good Monday. And that's it for this Monday, November 14th edition of Daybreak Africa. We thank you for beginning your week with us. For more Africa news and features, visit our website at voaafrica.com. Connect with us on all social media platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We are also on YouTube, where you can watch our TV shows, Africa 54, Straight Talk Africa, and Red Carpet. On behalf of the Daybreak Africa crew,